Hello, and welcome to the Teens for Peace podcast. We are excited you've joined us from wherever you are. Before we get into the content, allow me to introduce myself and a little bit about what I'm setting out to do. My name is Max Heinen. I'm 17 and from the Chicago area, and I have big dreams to make the world a more hospitable, loving, and peaceful place. My vision for that starts with teenagers. See, I've spent the last two years exploring the world of teenagers in peacemaking. My project, Teens for Peace in the Middle East, interviews teenagers in Israel and Palestine to understand their experiences and perspectives on the conflict between their two peoples. Through it, I've found some fascinating trends and patterns. Above all, I discovered that teenagers fit a unique age group in which stereotypes are present, but not yet hardened and unchangeable. So I've made it my mission to share the stories of teenagers in conflicts worldwide, to help alter untrue stereotypes about the other before they become set in stone. By building a platform of connected teenagers in Israel and Palestine, I hope to contribute towards a more peaceful world where peace starts in youth. This podcast mini-series will discuss in depth each of the questions I've asked over 30 Israeli and Palestinian teens to examine how different experiences have impacted their views on the conflict between their peoples. The hope is that by the end of this mini-series, both you and I will have a better idea of how we can promote young people in peacebuilding and understand why young people play such a crucial part, not just in conflict, but in bringing about change in multiple contexts. This is the Teens for Peace podcast. Today, for our third episode, let's dive into the question of media and its impacts on shaping young minds. The beliefs of children are malleable, and they often reflect what the world around them tells them to believe. After all, listening and repeating is easier than finding information yourself. So kids intake and output information without fact-checking, and it shouldn't be their responsibility to do so. But in reflecting on the impacts of the media and news bias on their lives, I came across some fascinating responses. The question I posed here was, what media do you watch, and how has it shaped your knowledge of and perspective on the conflict? 13-year-old Yaniv is troubled at the lack of reliable sources. I cannot say that every source is honest, and most of the sources can have an opinion. That's why we usually look at a lot of sources. And... We cannot say that they, I cannot say that in Israel, um, your all of the source the sources are honest. They're almost I think only um five or three or five um sources or something like that um are are really honest, in my opinion. Among dozens, he can only identify three to five that he calls honest in portraying the truth from various perspectives, a troubling sign that even the youngest peacebuilders and activists are dismayed at the choices around them. This is true even for those young peacebuilders like Yaniv that actively seek out proper education on the conflict from a variety of sources. How can we build peace when people are surrounded with news that constantly bombards one perspective without attempting to qualify these arguments or acknowledge nuance. Yaniv shows us that the problem isn't media bias alone, but also the impact it has had on the trust of the people and the information they receive. Recent studies about bias in the media further his claims. 
A study of four outlets, the New York Times, the Guardian, the Jerusalem Post, and Al Jazeera, on average, offered justifications or mitigating factors more frequently for Israeli perpetrators of violence than Palestinian ones, on average, over twice as often. Al Jazeera, meanwhile, had 31% of all of its articles over 2004 to 2008 portraying Israelis in a negative light in some aspect of war or violence. According to Moore, 18-year-old Israeli, The news in Israel, I think, is it's very biased towards, I mean, naturally, the Israeli and Jewish uh, side. And it's not something that I think you, you can really ignore. Um, I think there are very, there are a lot of journalists that are doing a really good job uh, in covering the conflict and doing it very, I don't know, professionally. Um, I think there are a lot of news outputs that are not very professional and that are doing a really uh, biased and, I don't know, unprofessional job. And uh, so uh, it's, a, again, I, I'm not I'm not really giving you a clear answer, but it's a really mi- it's a mix because um, I'm not happy with the state, like of how the media treats the conflict and treats, uh, even not, not regarding the conflict, like, mm-hmm. or people and Muslim people especially are represented in Israeli media um, I don't think most of the people they do it justice but um, I think there are a lot of people that are doing a really good job in Israel in uh, journalists and investigators like in that area So Moore says it's a mixed bag. In my view, that's an optimistic answer because it means, as some journalists are proving in his eyes, that we can do better. We can accurately depict events that portray negatively on ourselves while providing a space for a complete understanding of what's going on. He also is concerned about how people consume this media, though. Um, I think I, I don't, I'll start from the first, first thing. I don't watch a lot of news, like, daily. And okay. it's something that I used to do or that I do now, but I do follow the news, like uh, reads and uh, for various sources. And even like something that was very meaningful to me, uh, like learning about the conflict was talking to my friends, which have different opinions about it and get information from different sources and talk like in length about all the issues. So you can get to very interesting, I I think doing conversation, you can understand what's your opinion what's your opinion more clearly than when you thinking about it like in an empty room here more illustrates the importance of avoiding news consumption in a quote empty room what he means essentially is that consuming any news source even several from different viewpoints cannot develop an understanding of the entire conflict this can only occur, rather, through conversations with others. However, though Moore has sought out such conversations, not everyone has access to those resources. Shad, 16-year-old Palestinian, gives us a unique perspective. Yes, it's extremely biased and, like, mostly full of propaganda that only um, portrays the Israeli Zionist narrative of the conflict. So it usually uh, doesn't bring up the other side. So I'd say it's uh, basically uh, biased. People not being exposed to other stories is 
the thing that is preserving the status quo right now. So I think that could be one of the reasons why they don't show the other narratives in the news. While I don't personally agree with Shaad's portrayal of the, quote, Zionist movement, it's important to hear the foundation of her argument. She says that stories of one side are purposely avoided to prevent the changing of minds and is concerned about the power of these media organizations over the minds of millions. People not being exposed to other stories is, as Shad says, what is preserving a status quo that she believes is largely benefiting those in control of the news. Whether or not this is true, the fact that Shad and millions of other young people from diverse backgrounds are beginning to not only distrust all of the news around them, but, as Yaniv touched on, see it as propaganda, is a troubling sign of the distance between people and the information they receive to know about the world around them. Amir, 14-year-old Israeli, says that people are only shown one side. I think it should be changed because people see only the side, the, 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 our side, and they need to see different sizes in the conflict because in the end of the day, everyone wants to solve that problem. And I think it's really important for people to understand the side and meet people from the other side and just feel, know that there are persons in like us, like everyone, and find something, find that maybe we can live together and break there that thing that we thought about them. Notice the positivity at the end of Amir's remarks. Change can occur if we see the person on the other side, if we respect other ideas, and if we understand the importance of conversation. His ideas build on those of more, that there is a route to improvement. But unfortunately, that isn't always the idea perpetuated from media sources. Bits and pieces of media bias are found everywhere. In the aforementioned study, 52% of Al Jazeera's first source cited in their articles were Palestinians, and 23% were Israelis, while 52% of Jerusalem Post's first sources were Israeli, and 28% were Palestinian. Over that same period, 84% of victims mentioned in Al Jazeera were Palestinian civilians or combatants, while only 12% mentioned were Israelis. The Guardian mentioned 60% Palestinian victims and 29% Israelis in that same vein. U.S. sources, which Israelis and Palestinians often turn to, are two and a half times more likely to cite Israeli officials over Palestinian officials. The list goes on. Alyssa, a 17-year-old self-proclaimed Russian-Ukrainian-Israeli-Palestinian, encapsulates the youth aspect to all of this, that it's hard to understand the concept of bias and exaggeration from a young age. Well, when I was little, I didn't know that the media could be biased. So when I saw something on the news, I was like, yes, that's the truth. Of course, why would they lie? She says that she found it difficult to internalize the fact that TV could lie. She adjusted, as many youth interested in activism and peace building in the region must, creating a mindset of... 
after it. And I'm like, is this true? Is it? Is it? Is a fact? And it's really like to doubt everything you see, because everything has an agenda. Everything does. <laughs> yeah. It's saddening to hear that cynicism is the only way. Alyssa was forced to learn that all of the sources of information and influences around her had an agenda, and that she must double-check everything she hears in order to form her own opinions. Maisan, 16-year-old Palestinian, says, Okay, so I think that what media really shows um, don't reflect, um, like, they try to, um, to show that the Arab citizens of Israel or Arab Palestinians or some kind of, you know, um, problematic citizens. Um, and I think that the, it's like the, what the media really shows is really small percent of our society, which don't reflect anything about our real society, the real people, the, the Arab citizens who are just, who just want um, equal opportunities want to live in peace in their country and don't want to suffer from racism. And I think that media and what media shows really don't reflect anything about what is really happening in our country and in our society, which is really, um, that makes me really sad and angry. Let's analyze a little bit of what we just heard. Maisan's concerns justly lie on the emphasis of the Israeli media being drawn away from the success of Palestinians in culture, science, entertainment, and other areas, focusing solely on Palestinians as a problem-causing entity. She elaborates that the media portrayal essentially cuts out the plight of millions of Palestinians and Arab Israelis simply looking for means to survive without racism. This means that, in addition to avoiding exposition of what Maisan calls what is really happening in our country, the media reinforces the idea that all Palestinians are violent. Everyone acknowledges that some are, but the problem comes with the idea that all are. Itai, 17-year-old Israeli, sees a similar problem. Many times what happens is that if the misconceptions or lies are actually about the, the any sort of like violence or crimes that are committed right so you're gonna have uh situations where you have some sort of conflict some sort of fight that breaks out in the streets or uh, you know worst case scenario like in the rare situations where you actually have in deaths and stuff like that you're gonna definitely hear at least uh one person mention how you know it, it was definitely the fault uh the, uh, the, the Arab or, or the, the, the Muslim or whatever they decide to call them and uh, unfortunately uh, deny any blame that could potentially be put on the Israeli side. So why was it so important we heard a nearly identical perspective to Maisan's? Well, Itai is Israeli, 
He was born Israeli, raised Israeli, and lives in Israel. And yet he is significantly concerned about the bias of his own people's media. He sees that the media tries to anger people against others by constantly reinforcing a few ideas. Though it benefits Itai to live in a world that chooses exaggeration and manipulation over the value of truth and transparency in this specific case, Itai speaks out against such a world. People like Itai give me hope for a better future. Michal, 17-year-old Israeli, is also disgusted with the media's portrayal of the situation. She introduces a new word that might be startling to some of us, especially when it's used to describe one's own nation. Propaganda. Yeah. The propaganda is utterly disgusting here in Israel. Like, like you see the TV, and you see that there are only propagandists speaking about Arabs, and this person who exploded, and this person who killed someone, and blah, 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 blah. You never hear from Jews who stabbed someone in in Al-Aqsa, which happened like, I don't know, a year ago or when it was the Jerusalem day and there was a video of them screaming like Muhammad Med, which means like Muhammad died, you know, making fun of the Palestinian stuff like that. It happens like a lot of media doesn't show it. They just show that Israel's great and they are trying to kill us. Michal's concern lies with context. When Palestinians engage in actions of violence, she says, it is often presented without any context, such as her example of Israelis shouting, quote, Muhammad died, to evoke anger. Of course, while words don't and should never necessitate violence, subtracting any context from the situation allows the media to portray a group as completely at fault for an event or general trend, endangering the conversations that peacebuilding requires. Finally, 16-year-old Palestinian, Dona, is worried not about the stories being told, but rather about the stories being omitted. Yeah, exactly. The ones that they are not telling, or the, de- the details that they are not mentioning that it's so much worthy. So, for example, like, lately there hasn't been many, many, uh, like, times that, like, times they have killed people for somehow that they don't mention this on the news. If they have mentioned it, then they don't put it on the red highlighted words of titles that they would have put if if it was a person from another religion or race. So yeah, this is how it like. Dona has no problem with a thorough telling of Palestinian-initiated violence and Israeli victims, but sees irony in the fact that stories of the opposite type are usually skipped. By avoiding a complete explanation of events that negatively impact people unlike oneself, the bias reflects a troubling part of society. We're more ready to point out our own victims, but when it comes to taking responsibility, it's easier to avoid the question. Such one-sided narratives further create hostile dialogue instead of open conversations. Dona provides additionally insightful ideas about the impact of this bias, specifically to those not, quote, on the ground. Like, 
people here know what's happening like they're killing people like if i want to say this and they are for example in jerusalem and jerusalem is a mixed both cities so people actually can see it and in the north you can see it like uh, it's, it happened in in a city close to me so actually people heal up here about it even if it's not mentioned in the media but for people who do not see it like for example like elderies children jewish children or elderies if they don't see it then they only could hear in the media and if it's not mentioned in the media then who's hearing whether it be decision makers in israel politicians in the u.s or even israeli and palestinian children that live far from zones of constant conflict Dona says that the media is the lifeline of info to those that aren't experiencing the impacts of conflict every day. Thus, by providing one-sided, biased, exaggerated, or even false information, we can only make things worse. So what can we do about the media and the distrust of youth of all backgrounds towards it? Firstly, we must understand that some bias is unavoidable. Media outlets are, after all, funded by people or governments with views, and thus necessitate some level of tilt in reporting. However, the extent to which demonization of one side is carried out on news broadcasts must be limited. We can talk truthfully about an event without placing 100% of blame on an entire group for the actions of one person, especially when that person's actions were not contextualized. We can use current events not to promote hatred and division, but to create important grounds for conversation on how to avoid such pain from reoccurring. Certain sources, like the Associated Press, have made it their mission to ensure complete reporting, avoiding selectiveness and personal bias in other conflicts and in general news. Thus, though bias will be an issue as long as money is involved and emotions are at play, we can take after the successes of other sources and appeal to the masses by encouraging contextualization with complete reporting and every issue being presented. Specifically, and above all, Let's ensure our kids aren't exposed to ideas of intense hatred and anger towards an entire group because of one event, but rather that they are able to understand both that bad things do happen and that there are bad people, but that most people aren't bad. Such a complete shift in narrative will require a concerted effort from media, schools, and parents to present education that is as unbiased as possible, while emphasizing conversationalism and contextualization. That will about wrap it up for our third episode, but if you enjoyed, stay tuned for more and check out our website at teenspeace.org. Next time, we'll be diving into a fascinating discussion on conceptualizing identity in such a confusing world of conflict. Again, I'm Max Hyman for the Teens for Peace podcast. Thanks for listening. <laughs>